does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Were we watching a scene from The Last Dance last night at Cambridge Fieldhouse? Defense! I mean, Chris, I'll tell you what. Chris Denary practically took the under yesterday when we were talking to him. He was begging us to take it. Begging. But I, I think Chris mentioned he thought it would be in the 90s. Not the case. Was it 87-82? It was. Do I have that right? Good God. 20 to 18 in the fourth quarter. Fewest points the Pacers have scored in a home game since 2015. How does that even happen? Goodness gracious. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn. Glad to have you with us on the fan. This is one of the smartest dudes that you're ever going to talk to about the Indiana Pacers. It's our pal Alex Golden joining us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com from the Setting the Pace podcast, which is an excellent listen, by the way. Hey, Golden, give me your impressions about last night. Well, you give me a lot of praise there saying I'm one of the smartest guys talking Pacers basketball, so I got a lot to live up to. But with that being said, yeah, last night I was in the building. It was a very tough game to really get into because not a lot of offense. And this Pacers team we know can put up 70 points in the first half. And then to just drop 82 points, it was a bit confusing. And Tyrese Halliburton having his worst game probably of his career offensively, I mean, he really just wasn't able to get it going. But, yeah, I felt like Miami's defense – was really good last night, and, and it really put the Pacers in a tough situation because similar to, to Miami uh, with Indiana, they're not great half-court offensive teams, and that's why you saw such a slowed-down game. And, and, and honestly, I just feel like the Pacers, with the way they're constructed, they like to play fast, get out and run, and when they're unable to do that, that's when things get really tough for them because they just don't have that guy that's able to put the game away, and that's what we saw Jimmy Butler do late in that fourth quarter. He was able to create some opportunities there and get to the basket, and that just kind of sealed the deal for the Pacers. Alex, they give up 136 to Brooklyn in their most recent contest before that, and you could hear a frustrated Rick Carlisle a postgame after the loss to the Nets, wanting more defensive just energy and effort established. They clearly did that in this one. In terms of what you saw from their defensive game plan and on top of the fact that, as you mentioned, they got a lead at one point in the second half, uh, had a five-point lead, I believe, and then Heat went on there another big run, a nice big run by Jimmy Butler in that stretch as well. How did you feel they did their best to contain Butler after Carlisle was very frustrated with the lack of defensive effort uh, against the Nets in their previous matchup? Yeah, I think you have to look at the, the change you made in the starting lineup for first things first. Uh, putting Aaron Neesmith in the starting lineup instead of Jalen Smith I think was a smart move, especially against the Miami Heat team. That is pretty small. Uh, matching all of Turner's minutes with Adebayo's was a very smart move as well because Adebayo had a great game, 22-17. and 17, And still, it, it felt like the Pacers putting Miles out there gave them a better chance than, than playing an Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith. So I think just kind of going a little bit smaller was smart, being more switchable on defense. Obviously, having Turner as the rim protector, it's always going to be tough for Jimmy to get to the rim with Miles out there protecting. But I think throwing different looks at him, I thought Andrew Nimhard has been – he's been fantastic all season. But last night, I thought he was really impressive defensively. He just 
knows how to navigate screens. He's good at switching and not biting on pump fakes. You know, didn't get in foul trouble. I think he was a big uh, part of that. And I also think Benedict Matherin played pretty good defense last night as well. That's one thing that he's actually improving, improving upon this season early on and, you know, becoming more than just a scorer, but still, uh, yeah, defensively they were able just to, to play as a team, play their play their scheme well, and I think Jimmy Butler uh, just didn't – he's not he's not been a great shooter so far this season. I don't know if he's still dealing with injuries or whatnot, but, you know, uh, his, his numbers were, were decent 50% from the field, but it all came late when, when it mattered the most. But for the majority of the game, I thought they held him in champ pretty well. Of note, Jimmy Butler did not play the last time the Heat and the Pacers matched up. Pacers won that one in early November, 101-99. Heat get him back last night, 87-82. Alex, something you said – in your answer there was the matchup between Miles Turner and Bam Adebayo. Miles, a double-double. Bam Adebayo, a double-double. I think there's been some conversation in recent years, especially since DeMontis Sabonis left, that Miles typically, or not typically, but oftentimes when going against a, another star center maybe has seen his game regress a tad. What have you thought about him this year when it comes to defending some of the best big men in the NBA? This is by far the best season we have ever seen from Miles Turner, and that's not hyperbole. I think he's been awesome. I think he's really protecting the rim at a high level, shooting the ball incredibly well from three-point land. This is his style of offense that he likes to play. Being able to be the solo center has freed him up quite a bit, but at the same time, we know it's a contract year, so you have to keep that in mind. Miles is is really playing as hard as he can for that bag. And he does fit this Pacers team and what they're trying to do. But the reason why there's been so many talks about him getting traded, especially this season, is because we don't know if he wants to resign here or not. So a lot of indications point to he wants to test free agency, see what he can do. He's got a lot of important skills that you want in a big man for today's NBA with the ability to protect the rim. Uh, he's been much more efficient on the glass. He was not good against Brooklyn. I thought that was uh, one of those things where you just kind of watched him play got out of position a lot, wasn't really worried about offensive rebounds that were happening because he was protecting the rim, and then there wasn't that second side help there to try to keep guys crashing in the glass. And so that's one of those things. He's focused on that. But going up against Bam Adebayo, this has always been a matchup that's been very competitive because I believe Miles was selected over Bam for, for FIBA a couple of years ago, and Bam took it personal. So, yeah, you can say Bam had the better game overall, but Miles really stepped up, stepped up there in the second and third quarter to get those numbers pretty even and really help get the Pacers back into the game. Alex, you mentioned those trade rumors for Miles, and obviously Buddy Heald has been involved in that mix as well in terms of your packaging something. I'm not even talking about the early season rumors with the Lakers. I just mean as this team continues to find out what they're going to be the rest of this year and beyond. They're obviously fun right now, right? They're fun. They're competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, these games are way more uh, interesting to watch than they were a year ago. But in terms of it being a contract year for Miles, if you were running the team, would you be making a move for him at some point, or is this a valuable piece if they are a true playoff contender this year? Yeah, I mean, if they're a playoff contender, I think obviously you consider keeping him. But at the end of the day, no matter what, if he does not sign that extension, you know, before the deadline, you have got to trade him. You cannot lose him for any uh, for nothing, right? That that's where this thing gets really interesting. He's playing great for this team. And he fits in well with Tyrese and, and the group they have. Um, he, he fits in great, seamlessly, actually. I mean, I think he's been a fantastic fit. Sure, you'd like him maybe to be more of a low-post threat, maybe maybe a better rebounder for sure. But 
I think what you've expected from Miles versus what you've gotten the last previous years, he has taken that leap this year. So, yeah, if you're able to keep him long-term and you're able to come to an agreement that makes sense in terms of contract-wise, then you do it. I don't think he's worth a max. I don't think he's worth more than $25 million a year, in my personal opinion. So if he wants more than that and he wants to seek that out on the open market, then you have to find a, a way to trade him because it, it doesn't make sense to, to lock him up for more money than maybe you think he's worth. And I think the Pacers are smart about that. They know going into this, there, there's you know there's a good chance he's going to leave in free agency. So no matter where they're at, whether they're under 500 by 10 games or they're you know five seed in the playoffs or a playing team, they've got to trade him if he doesn't sign that extension. Alex Golden with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the MowerShop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Hey, Golden, Victor Oladipo back in the building. Yesterday, honored, I think, before the National Anthem is what I read. Your thoughts on the tribute video and then the, I guess, the mixture of cheers and boos that you heard. Yeah, so I was actually entering the arena as that was playing. I was a little bit late to the game when I was coming into it. And, uh, yeah, you hear a lot of – you actually heard cheers in the uh, in the hallway there uh, of Gamebridge Fieldhouse after that video played. So it wasn't like an overwhelming applause, but it was – you know, like almost like a kind of golf clap applause. Like people appreciate what he did, but obviously it was a one season type of thing. And how he left was probably not not the greatest. He said a lot of things that just didn't uh, sit well with fans. And I, I honestly didn't care if people cheered or booed. It's your choice to do what you want to do. I didn't do either because I didn't really care either way. It's it's time to move on. That was like five years ago. But it felt like when he got introduced into the game the majority of the boos that I heard came from Turner's block. So I don't know if that was an orchestrated thing to do by the people that uh, are a part of Turner's block. But other than that, you heard a few hand claps here and there, but it was nothing significant. So for anybody that said there was like a smattering of boos or, or, you know, an overwhelming hand clap, no, it was pretty mad. Nobody really seemed to care that he was back. And it was about as uh, impactful as his performance last night, which is getting five points. I mean, that's why I think people just don't care because it's like, at the end of the day, it was the the best thing for the Pacers for him to just be gone from this team. Alex Golden, nice enough to take some time with us here on the Mower Shop in Fishers Hotline. Go to the Mower Shop in Fishers or themowershop.com for all your residential, commercial, mowers, snowblowers, you name it. They have it for you at the Mower Shop. Alex, we had an opportunity to talk to Chris Denary yesterday, and he mentioned the parity involved particularly in the eastern conference where a half a game or a couple games is all that separates uh the top seed in the conference to the bottom or at least in terms of playoff seating anyway or play-in seating uh, pacers currently after the loss sit at eight uh just behind the hawks as you observe this team through the first third of the season and obviously taking into account last night i didn't think this team was going to be good this year i think a lot of people are pleasantly surprised at how they've started the season where do you view the Pacers through a third of the way? Are they a legit potential playoff team, or is this team that's closer towards the back of the pack that just had a nice run? Yeah, I would say the latter there. I think when you look at this team, they've lost six of their last eight. It's uh, They had a really nice schedule in November, and I think that a lot of us overlooked that, how many days off they had in between, how many home games they had. And to be frank, they had a lot of teams that they played have injuries to key players, which I do think kind of helped them get off to a better start now you can't discredit how well they've played they've played incredibly well when teams are healthy and they've been competitive so they've been better than expected there's no doubt about it but I still think this is a team that misses the playoffs 
They will probably miss the play, and they're going to be in that 11 to 15 range in the Eastern Conference, which, you know, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I know a lot of fans want to see them probably in that, Detroit, in that Detroit spot where they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, right, hoping to get the best chances to land a guy like Victor Wimbanyama. But, you know, I think you have to just realize building a culture, establishing, you know, good habits, which they've done already this season, uh, I think that far outweighs the latter and losing a ton of games in hopes of getting somebody because there's not a very high percentage that you're going to land Wimbanyama. So I think it's smart to, to, to do what they've done so far and, and that's go out there and be ultra competitive and try to win as many games as possible. But I think eventually you're going to see where, where the schedule evens out, talent evens out, and you're going to find out that this Pacers team, while they've been fun and while they were an early season surprise, most people were right in their early season predictions. This is not a team that's going to be a playoff-bound team. And if they get to the playoffs, it's cool for their experience, but they're just not ready yet, in my opinion, overall with, with their talent to, to really be a playoff contending team. We have actually built a prayer shrine in the corner of the studio with candles <laughs> and a big picture of Victor as, as we pray every day that that the tank is on. Just kidding. So, uh, Alex, I mean, you, you take into account – what the Pacers are going to have through Christmas. This is what it is. Golden State on Wednesday, Cleveland on Friday, the New York Knicks on Sunday the 18th, at Boston on the 21st, at Miami on the 23rd, and then this is really sneaky, at New Orleans on the 26th, who arguably has been one of the best teams in the league over the last couple weeks, and then that's a back-to-back. you got to go to Atlanta, then two days later play Cleveland two days before New Year's Eve, and then on New Year's you got the Clippers. When do you get a break in that section of the schedule, Alex? You really don't, unless maybe Boston sits like four of their starters to give them some rest. Who knows, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the only way the Pacers are going to have an easy uh, easy game coming up. Like the Knicks, I think that's a winnable game, obviously. The Knicks have been kind of, you know, middle of the pack. I think the Warriors give the Pacers a good chance to play their style, which is why I think the Pacers had the upset against Golden State and, uh, and San Francisco is because they do play a similar style to how the Pacers like to play, and that's, you know, up-tempo, a lot of threes, a lot of layups, hardly any mid-range. But, yeah, you're right. The only team currently under 500 on this schedule that they'll be playing is the Miami Heat, who just beat them. So it's not going to be easy, and, and they're going to have their hands full. And I think by the end of this month, you're going to get a, a, a real good idea of what this team is going forward. And it might not be pretty, but, you know, I just I, I want them to be competitive in their losses, right? And uh, I want them to be competitive whether they win or lose. But I think – the, the blowouts that you saw on the road trips, like the 16-point the loss to the Blazers, the 20-point loss to the Jazz, you don't want to see a lot of those games. You want to see them be in them, uh, whether they win or lose, because that, to me, is establishing a, a good habits and, and creating a good culture. But you don't want to see them lose a ton, because that's just going to weigh on them, like it did last year, and I think fans are going to lose interest. So hopefully they can sneak one out, but I, I think the one that feels the most realistic is probably that Knicks game at home. Alex, last thing. I know attendance was a bit of a question last year, and rightfully so. Again, the product on the court just didn't meet expectations. But the Fieldhouse last night uh, on a Monday against the Heat, quality opponent, Oladipo, pretty good environment in there? I think every game that I've been to, you've seen a pretty good environment here. I think fans are excited about this young team, a lot of young talent to get behind. So last year when you went to games, it was tough. There was way many uh, – there was a lot of open seats last year than there were this year. So I think the direction the Pacers are heading, it does get them a little more uh, – it's got fans more excited for, for what, what product is being put on the floor. And I, I'm glad to see it because it's a, a breath of fresh air. And 
it makes probably hopes I'm going to feel better about this team going in a different direction than maybe he had hoped for. Alex Golden, he is the man, the host of the Setting the Pace podcast. Check him out. Give him a follow on Twitter. With us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snow blowers, commercial and residential blowers, plus service and power tools. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me on. We'll see you. You got it, brother. Alex Golden with us on the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King here on The Fan. Joining us now on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline. It's Dane Brugler of The Athletic. For those of you who don't know Dane's work, you can get it on The Athletic and when he does mock draft season, it's not the same as, say, Brendan or I sticking our heads together and saying, oh, this team should take this guy or this guy or this guy. Dane talks with scouts and front office personnel from around the league that he's established over the course of his time tracking the NFL. He's on the fan pretty frequently across our shows the closer we get to April, maybe a little earlier than usual this year, but he's outstanding and we look forward to talking with him now. Dane, thanks so much for making time for us. And how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. I always enjoy uh, hopping on with you guys. And yeah, like you said, it's a little earlier than I think we're used to talking. But, uh, you know, that's just the reality of the Colts and where they are. And so it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Dane, it's all fluid. But the top question, at least on my mind, regardless of where the Colts end up, is, and again, I'm not a Colts fan, but I know Colts fans that want an answer at quarterback, not just based on where they're supposed to pick, but just based on what you've heard from around the league. Let's say the Colts are in that 7-10 to 10 range. Realistically, from what you're hearing from scouts and from team personnel and front offices, is there going to be a quarterback available for the Colts if they end up in that 7-10 to 10 range? Uh, there very well might be. Um, this is just such a fascinating quarterback class because of, of the split opinions uh, from team to team. Uh, you know, you'd have Bryce Young from Alabama who – has so much that you want at the position from his instincts to his accuracy to his processing, but he's a complete outlier in terms of size. And that's going to be an issue for a lot of teams. And it's not just that he's small, it's he's historically small. Uh, Going back the last 25 years, 301 quarterbacks have been drafted. Of those 301, only two were under 5'11 and under 200 pounds, like Bryce Young is. And neither were drafted top 100. So, you know, it, it's a complete outlier. And some teams are just, they're not going to be on board with that. And so it'll be really interesting with Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud is not universally loved. I, I think that when you watch Stroud in rhythm within the context of that Ohio State offense, it's it's very easy to uh, be optimistic about uh, the way he operates, the, the accuracy. He can carve you up. But when things fall apart and he has to make plays outside of structure, that's where the question marks come up. And that's why, you know, he's not a locked top five pick like a lot of people think that he is. And then with Will Levis from Kentucky, he's got plenty of fans around the league because it's not what you've done. It's what you're going to do. And he's got a lot of the traits that will translate to the next level. And it's, you know, there's a lot of Josh Allen comparisons. There's a lot of uh, optimism of what he could be. So, Honestly, I, I think that based off of my talks with teams, I'm, I'm keeping a very open mind with 
the order that these quarterbacks are drafted, um, how early. And, I mean, also throw Anthony Richardson in there as well, the Florida quarterback, who is a redshirt sophomore, one-year starter, as raw as can be, but a complete freak show in terms of his natural ability. 6'4", 235, uh, probably going to run in the 4'4s. Um, he's got a, a huge arm, can do so many things, but he's just not there in terms of accuracy and a, a lot of the little things that are important at the quarterback position. So it, it's a really – interesting group of quarterbacks and it's not as simple as oh well you know he's definitely going one and he's going two it's just it, it's not that's not how teams are looking at this quarterback class hey dan it's brendan and you mentioned keeping an open mind about quarterbacks i feel like in your business quarterbacks go up and down like the stock market often mm-hmm. but when you look at recent years with josh allen going later than others with Justin Fields going after 10 with Lamar Jackson help being in the 30s uh is that why you have to keep an open mind just because of what you see now in the league with what these guys like a Allen and a Fields and a Lamar have turned into yeah, I mean, really go back to the last 10 years uh you know the quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first three picks how many of those quarterbacks have actually hit it's really Joe Burrow and I mean, maybe if you want to include Jared Goff in that discussion, but it's not a great hit rate. It's 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 really not. And so, um, you know, a lot of those teams picking at the top of the draft, if you're not in love with one of these quarterbacks, and you feel like you're not you're you have some job security where you know you're not uh, going to be forced to take a quarterback by ownership, then you know if you're the the Panthers, if you're um, you know the Seahawks, uh, if you're the Texans. Maybe you go with uh, Will Anderson from Alabama, Jalen Carter uh, from Georgia, and you, you find a cornerstone at a, at a premium position outside a quarterback, build up that roster, and then, you know, it, it's just it, – if you don't love these guys, I could see a lot of teams doing that. And, you know, last year we had one quarterback – drafted in the first 73 picks and so it'll be interesting to see and you know talking to teams over the summer I got a lot of the same responses and you know teams are willing to be patient because they didn't love those quarterbacks in past years Malik Willis Matt Corral Desmond Ritter they would have been overdrafted in the late one early second round but the teams were more willing to be patient in last year's draft and as teams look towards next year's draft which I know people hate to uh, hate to hear that necessarily, but Caleb Williams, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, Quinn Ewers, uh, there's a, a lot more optimism about the 2024 quarterback class. And because of that, I would not be surprised at all if we see some of these teams picking in the top 10 that we, we see as maybe needing, have a drastic need at quarterback, choosing to be patient because they don't love these guys and think they can wait one more year to draft one early. Dane Brugler, nice enough to join us of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Dane, Colts fans obviously want to have a quarterback in here by the time April's draft arrives, and they'd like it to happen within that draft. But the other major need, at least on the offensive side, in my mind, even though Bernard Ryman has played better as of late, would be a long-term answer at left tackle. I know that it's been about two or three weeks since you released your mock draft on The Athletic, but you had... Paris Johnson Jr. at Ohio State, uh, rumblings of pegging him at seven for the Cardinals. Uh, has he moved up at all, or is that about the range that you expect him uh, to be at in terms of uh, needs from teams across the league? 
I think that's kind of right where he is in, in that top 10 range could go, you know, could go earlier. He plays a premium position and we know obviously a lot of teams need help a tackle. Um, ironically enough, if the draft were tomorrow based on the current order, the Colts would be picking seventh. Um, so, you know, they might be in that, that range if they wanted to draft uh, an offensive tackle and with Olu Foshinu, the left tackle at Penn state with uh, him choosing to go back to, to school for next year, that to me, Paris Campbell is the the best true left tackle in this class from Ohio State. He just his body control, his fluidity for such a big man is so impressive. Um, you know, he's still learning in areas, but his issues are all fixable, and they're really more of a product of a player who this is his first year at left tackle uh, since high school. Uh, they played him at guard last year, uh, just trying to get the best five on the field. Uh, but, you know, it's his issues are due to inexperience and not lack of ability. So this guy has a lot of the tools that translate to the next level and say he's going to play for a long time in the NFL. So Paris Johnson, if, if the Colts want to go with an offensive tackle in the top 10, I, I think Paris Johnson would be uh, tops on that radar. Dan, this is my last question on the QB front. So. In your tweet this morning, or that was from a couple days ago, actually, uh, you had the Texans updated 2023 NFL draft order, Texans at number one. We were talking about the AFC South quarterback picture yesterday with Davis Mills and then Jeff Driscoll seeing quarterback time for Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a mess down in Houston right now, quarterback-wise. We are talking about Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville and you know how long Ryan Tannehill is going to be in Tennessee. Colts are going to need a quarterback, obviously. But whatever the Texans do at one, if they draft a quarterback, could that really kind of open the floodgates with others maybe feeling pressure then needing to trade up? It's really going to be interesting because, you know, you guys know it's the beauties in the eye of the beholder when it comes to quarterbacks. You know, we could have 31 teams that would be out on Bryce Young, but if the Texans are the one team that say, you know what, we're okay with the lack of size. Uh, You know, as long as we feel okay, like he's going to be able to take care of himself and not take these big hits, we we feel okay with it. And, you know, Bryce Young's the number one overall pick. So uh, it it will be interesting to see how each team looks at these quarterbacks. And, you know, I think, you know, these teams in the top 10 are picking in the top 10 for a reason, right? And so a lot of these teams will have a need at quarterback. Um, And it's interesting of the currently the teams picking in the top five, three are via trade. Uh, you know, with the Seahawks owning the Broncos pick at number two right now, the Lions at number four owning the Rams pick, and then the Eagles, who, you know, they could very well win it all and still have the top five pick because they have the Saints uh, draft first round draft pick this year. Uh, but when it comes to the Texans, you know, it's they're really a wild card because Nick Casario, the GM, we don't have a, a sample size with him drafting a quarterback early. You know, in all those years, he's been in the league for 20 plus years. Never had to draft a quarterback early in New England, obviously because of Tom Brady. Um, you know, we just don't know what does he, what, what are his uh, priorities at the position in terms of what, what he looks for at a young player. We just don't have that that frame of reference with with Nick Casario. So, um, you know, the head coach obviously, Lovey Smith, he's a defensive guy. You know, we we just don't know what which quarterback they might prefer. And so there's a lot of unknown right now uh, in terms of what direction the Texans might go there at number one. Dane, I've got one more on that quarterback aspect as well, and I, I love that phrase whenever it comes up around prospects of beauty being in the eyes of the beholder because you just don't know what team's going to end up doing and as an ownership that's going to come down and make the final decision on that. Is it the general manager that's going to have the keys to the car? When you look at scouts that you've talked to and how they're analyzing just specifically C.J. Stroud for a second, 
he's going to have a big, tough test, as real as it gets in terms of... Uh, Obviously, nothing is going to be what it's like at the NFL level, but in terms of a high-powered defense, that's what he's going to go up against with Georgia in the college football semifinal. How much of that is a final test for scouts in terms of where they see Stroud as an NFL-ready uh, top-10 draft pick? Yeah, there's no doubt. And listen, you know, scouts, they, they're they not week-to-week guys. You know, they don't – it's not like those of us in the media who tend to do that week-to-week and, you know, rising and falling and that type of thing – Scouts are body of work. You know, they, that, that's how they operate. But it's just human nature. If C.J. Stroud were to go out there uh, in, in the playoff game, semifinals, against Georgia, uh, arguably the, the most talented defense in the nation, and be productive and have this big game, lead the Buckeyes to, to an upset win, I don't see how that couldn't, um, you know, affect how teams think of him and what he's able to do in that big situation. And really, when you think of uh, C.J. Stroud, has never beat Michigan as a starter. Uh, the last two years, they they, they uh, came up uh, just short, and you know he just he has a few you know good wins you know at Penn State and uh, against Notre Dame. But you know to do it in a in a stage like that against a talented defense like Georgia, that that would certainly go a long way. And, and you know it's funny because we know. Uh, you know, teams think a certain way about uh, players right now, but once coaches get involved, once, you know, you get to the combine and you can actually sit down with these guys and GMs and coaches get one-on-one time with these quarterbacks and find out more about them, their personalities. And, uh, you know, is he going to fit our culture? Like things are constantly changing. So, you know, it's mid December right now. And, you know, even if we thought we had a good, idea of how teams think about these quarterbacks it's all going to change once these coaches get involved we're going to have some you know fluctuation with the front offices around the league it's really going to be interesting to see these quarterbacks and you know how the, the ebbs and flows throughout the process Dan Brugler is joining us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Dan, here in Indianapolis, Frank Reich was fired. That was a matter of about a month and a half ago. Chris Ballard is still around as a GM, not known if he is still going to be the GM when the season comes to an end. We'll find that out, I guess, in four or so weeks. But I, with the way that Ballard has run the ship here in Indy, it, he's made it very clear that he values certain positions over others when it comes to the draft just like any other GM but Ballard does it in a little bit of a different way where he likes to build in the trenches and he really loves building that defensive line I mean the Colts have the highest paid offensive line in football after drafting very well initially hasn't worked out in the last year or so but I guess Ballard's mentality when it comes to drafting kind of building in the trenches and what we have seen as of late I mean from last year's draft Drake London going number eight ten through twelve was Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams. You throw Jahan Dotson in there, Traylon Burks too. Uh, is Ballard's focus in the draft kind of an outlier from what we've seen in recent years? I don't know that it's necessarily an outlier. Um, and, you know, it's we haven't really had a chance to see, um, you know, him pick early these last, you know, last year. And um, But I do think, you know, you look around, you know, Joe Douglas with the Jets, you know, he's, he's a guy that prefers to build in the trenches. Now he's had multiple first-round picks, so he also had the opportunity to go get a quarterback, go get a corner um, in Sauce Gardner. But, you know, he still wants to draft offensive linemen, defensive linemen. I, I think we see that a lot. I mean, Howie Roseman with the Eagles, uh, you know he wants to draft defensive line. So, you know, I, I think it's a common trend with, with a lot of GMs. And, you know, with Chris, 
he he believes in the tra- in the traits. He trusts the traits, um, and it's something that I, I learned from Chris uh, back when he was in Kansas City. Um, you know, and I had a chance to to learn from him and talk with him. Is um, you know, when you watch the tape and you see a player do something once, you know he can do it, and so it, it's something that. Uh, I, I know that that drives him, um, you know, watching this tape and, and watching these players and understanding, okay, does he have this ability? Does he have this talent? And, I, I, you know, he does like to go in the trenches, and I certainly understand why, but there, there's no doubt this team needs, um, you know, in, in a lot of different areas, they need to get better. Um, but if the Colts were to go back to the defensive line, uh, there's going to be a few appealing players that I know Chris will have his eye on, especially in the first round, guy like Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. This guy, uh, you know, is 6'6", 270 pounds. He's going to run really well. He's really long. Um, you know, it, it might be hard for him to pass on, on a guy like that in the top 10. Dane, I want to look kind of big picture with the whole draft, and I, I know you haven't even begun to, to mock out uh, other things outside of the first round, but just from conversations with front office personnel and scouts, where is the value position or the, or the death position in this year's draft, not just in the first round, but the perceived, I guess, early indication from scouts that where there's going to be a ton of value on the board? I think edge rusher. Um, you know, obviously, we'll see a couple of these guys go early with Will Anderson and, and probably Tyree Wilson, who I just mentioned. But I, I think that in the late first, second round, into the third round, so between picks, say, you know, 20 and 80, that 60-pick uh, stretch, we're going to see a lot of pass rushers uh, come off the board, guys that are really talented and, you know, for one reason or another aren't considered blue chippers, but they have a lot of ability and they're going to project as guys that could be disruptive at the next level. So I think, I think pass rusher uh, in that, um, you know, late first round to mid third round range. And then also this is going to be a really strong group of tight ends this year. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, a lot of people want to say Michael Mayer is going to go in the top 10. I, I, I'd be very surprised at that. Um, I, I think, but you know, between picks 20 and 60, we're going to see, uh, you know, maybe five, six tight ends come off the board. It's a really strong group. And then even into the third round, guys like, you know, Sam Laporta in Iowa, Luke Schoonmaker in Michigan. So tight end, uh, I don't think we're going to see one go super high this year with no Kyle Pitts or uh, TJ Hawkinson. But, um, you know, once we get to the, the back half of round one and then into rounds two, three, four, tight end's a really deep position this year. Dan, where's the running back market for you in 2023? Now, it's actually, I think, a, a really good group. And obviously it depends on the underclassmen who decide to come out. And so we're, we're waiting on those official decisions that are being made right now. But if the underclassmen come out, who we believe will come out, uh, you know, last year we only had three running backs drafted in the top, like, 90 picks. Uh, it wasn't a, a strong group, none in the first round. This year, I wouldn't be surprised if we had as many as um, seven, eight, nine running backs drafted in the first three rounds this year because it's just a really strong group. It starts at the top uh, with B. John Robinson out of Texas. Uh, he, he's not Saquon Barkley, but he's probably the closest thing we've seen uh, to Saquon Barkley since that draft. Um, and then, you know, Jamar Gibbs from Alabama, uh, Devin A. Chain, Texas A&M, uh, Blake Corum, Michigan. Uh, the top senior this year on my board, at least, is Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, a Michigan transfer, um, Tank Bigsby from Auburn. So, uh, you know, we can go on and on with the running backs in this class that are really, really talented. And, and so it's going to be if you need a running back in this class, you're going to feel really good about your options in the first three rounds. 
Dane Brugler taking some time with us on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MowerShop.com. Go see the Mower Shop for all your snowblowers, commercial residential mowers, plus service and power tools and so much more. Dane, while I would probably be a little frustrated because there's bigger needs than just wide receiver if the Colts went that way. Uh, first one off of your board from the end of last month with Quentin Johnston out of TCU. Um, talk a little bit about his game, what he would bring to an NFL team right away, and then if there's any other uh, receivers that jump off the page for you as, as first-round caliber. Yeah, and I don't think this, this draft of receivers is as um, top-heavy as last year's was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any of these receivers – would be one of the first four that were drafted last year. I think, you know, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, Drake London, and, and Jameson Williams would all be drafted ahead of these guys. But there's still plenty of talent in this group. Quentin Johnston is 6'4", 215 pounds, has outstanding size, speed, um, and tracks the ball well downfield. Still, in terms of his route running, still learning, still developing, but the talent is, is off the charts. Jordan Addison from USC, uh, the pit transfer, not the biggest guy, but but you watch some of his routes and you think, oh, it, that's Stephon Diggs out there with the way he the way he moves. It's really impressive. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, unfortunately, we were robbed of uh, you know his season this year. But he was always in that late one, early second round range. I still think he's going to go in that uh, that area for a team that really needs a slot receiver. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, what he did uh, for Tennessee this year with just pure speed and ball skills, really, really impressive. He's put himself. Uh, into the mix to maybe be a first-round pick. And and then uh, Josh Downs from North Carolina, um, who is very undersized. He's 5'10", probably 175 pounds. So he's a small target, but kind of reminds me of Jahan Dotson a little bit last year where he's a guy that understands how to get open. He finds the blind spot of of defensive backs, and then he's got really good ball skills for a smaller player. So Josh Downs probably won't go in the first round, but if you need a receiver in the second round and you you can compromise a little bit on the size, Josh Downs will be high on your list. So it's a running, it's a wide receiver class that, again, not as top-heavy as maybe the last two years, uh, but there's still some quality receivers, and, and we know teams are always looking for, for more fireworks and guys that can you know light up the scoreboard. So uh, we'll see receivers fly off the board in that late first, especially into the second round in April. Hey, Dan, this is the last thing from me about your job itself and the draft. Of course, the draft was in New York for so, so long, and then since 2015 mm-hmm. have been – you know, uh, p- picking up new locations and going around and bringing that to all different kinds of communities. I loved when it was in Las Vegas in 2020, even though that was, you know, a COVID environment. But just your thoughts on the draft kind of taking all kinds of different stops and I'm sure bringing you to all portions of the country and doing what you do. Well, you know, it's uh, if, the, if the league could make money off of it, they're going to, right? And so uh, it's become a little bit of a traveling circus. And it, it's cool for a lot of these cities. This year it's in Kansas City. So, you know, it's an opportunity for that fan base to, uh, you know, enjoy, um, you know, something a little bit different instead of having to travel to different places. Um, you know, for me, I, I – I, if I don't have to travel uh, to to the draft, I, I avoid it because it's it's really a fan event. Um, now, the most important thing for me is making sure the combine stays in Indianapolis, uh, which will be the next two years at least. Uh, that's one of my favorite 
trips every year is going to Indianapolis uh, for that week. I, I learn more that week about uh, these players than I do uh, maybe the entire rest of the year just because of everyone is confined to Indianapolis and it's just such a such a great opportunity. So um, if the combine does end up moving to, to you know Dallas or Los Angeles or Vegas or wherever, uh, I will truly be sad when that happens. But at least we know uh, Indy will be the host site for the next two years. And so I'm, I'm holding on to that. Last question on my end for you, Dane. There's going to be continued reports like this and rumblings over the next couple of weeks, but the thought of uh, Jordan Love maybe wanting to be the starter next year and potentially asking for a trade, regardless of what the Packers do, whether that is honoring a trade request, whether that's naming him the starter and moving on from Rodgers, what would a, a move of one of those quarterbacks being available do to quarterback needy teams? And then speaking on Love, what do you remember from your scouting report on him and how have you felt he's done so far in his small sample size in Green Bay? Yeah, well, and, you know, we saw two years ago with, you know, when Matthew Stafford became available, um, obviously a lot of teams were interested. And I, if that'll happen again this year, and you think about some of the quarterbacks that might be available with between Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, Derek Carr, will he be on the trade block? Uh, Tom Brady will be available uh, more than likely. Um, and I, I still feel like he's got uh, something left uh, to play for. So uh, there will be some really intriguing veterans out there that these teams can go after. And I, it, you know, with all the question marks about this quarterback class, I think that'll be, uh, you know, maybe the, the more worthwhile option is to go get a guy that at least we know what we're getting. We, we don't have to develop a guy and kind of hope that he's going to give us something in year one. We know what we're getting uh, with who we go after. So that'll be, that'll be really interesting. You know, obviously the Packers and Aaron Rodgers will sit down after the season and say, Hey, let's, let's figure this out. Or, you know, or do, you, do you want to be here next year? What's the plan? Let's, let's figure this out going forward. And then if, if Rodgers does want to stay in green Bay another year, I do think there's a good chance. Jordan Love uh, will move on. They'll figure out a way to um, honor that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see see how it plays out because Love is a good player. I think a lot of people were surprised when uh, the Packers took him um, in the first round. But there were, I know, several teams that had first-round grades on him. Um, he has a lot of the physical uh, attributes that you want and just a matter of – uh, being a consistent decision maker. And so I think we've seen that from time to time this year, uh, especially, you know, this year uh, when he got in, uh, you know, a couple of two weeks ago, he looked good throwing the ball. Um, he had a little bit of movement to him. Um, you know, when he's on time and, you know, he's reading the defense correctly, uh, he, he looks like, uh, you know, you know one, a, a top 20 quarterback in this league. It's just we, ha- we don't have a sample size of that to know, okay, can he do it consistently over four quarters, over uh, a 17-game schedule? So it's still plenty of unknown there, but the ability is there. And, and so I think that'll be really intriguing for a lot of these teams that find themselves in the quarterback market this offseason. Dane, we know that you're the NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. We can find your work there. You can follow, be followed on Twitter at DP Brugger. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, just make sure people have their subscriptions to the athletics so you can get the draft guide uh, when it comes out in April. It's uh, I, I make a promise that it's the most comprehensive draft guide um, available out there in terms of all the background info, in terms of all the testing information, obviously the full scouting report. So um, and, it, and it's free, included as part of your subscription to the athletics. So uh, I, I think that alone makes it makes it worth the subscription. So hopefully people check it out. I second that. Uh, I enjoy that. It's a great read every year and the amount of work you put in there. I know it's all. Always busy year-round for you. We appreciate you taking some time with us today. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. That's Dane Brugler, and you can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Always enjoy 
get an opportunity to talk to him and get an idea for where things head moving forward. Man, that was my first time. I probably learned more in the, in the last 26 minutes than I had known about the draft all year. So, I mean, that's some good stuff. He- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He is the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59, and CBS4, nice enough to take some time with us each and every week here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter at mchapel 51 Chappie, I'm not trying to throw your age here, but you've covered the Colts since 84 when the team arrived. Uh, when you look at the idea of starting Matt Ryan and hoping that he's a starter for these final four games, I'm sure that doesn't make the list of craziest things you've heard. Maybe not even the craziest things you've seen this season. But what's your pulse on this situation of the Colts deciding that they want to keep Matt Ryan in there and view him as the best option to still win games? I wouldn't have been surprised if they changed and went to Foles, but as crazy as it sounds, he probably still gives them the best chance to win, which probably doesn't isn't a ringing endorsement of Nick Foles or Sam Ellinger. Uh, it's just, you know, it's it's like if he would just quit turning the ball over. Well, you know, we're 13 games in, and they're still turning the ball over. So I, I think it's just a case of, again, they think that if they could, if they would just quit with the fumble and interceptions, that he gives them a chance. And if you look, that's the case. You know, as crazy as it sounds, it was 21 to 19 in Dallas going into the fourth quarter. And then they have all the turnovers. So I, I, I do think he gives them the best chance to win, but that's sort of a bad can of compliment because I just don't think they really put a lot of trust on the other guys. Hey, chap, it's Brendan. As what Jeff Saturday says, I mean, his job as the interim head coach is to steer the ship and keep things positive and make it sound like things are well at the complex and they're competing to win the last four games. Do you have the sense that that team is still in it or are, are players checked out slash or is the coaching staff checked out? No, I don't think that. I mean, it's, you know, you hear the tanking and all that and I guess if they would go to Sam Ellinger to see what he's got, you could argue that that's what they're doing, but for the fans that that are interested in them tanking, they, they don't need to do things to try to lose because they're 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 trying to win and they're losing if that makes any sense. So, <laughs> so it, it's it's not like they have to go out of their way to do things. They're, they're just finding. I, I I've settled on over the last couple of months. They're just good enough to lose. They're good enough to be in position, whether it's Philly or or Pittsburgh or whomever throw Dallas out of there, and then they just don't make the play. Too often they don't make the play. So, you know, I, no, players don't check out. I, I think that's sort of an easy way for fans to, to look at this. And, you know, I, I, I've been around the locker rooms a long time, and these guys only play 16, 17 games. So to think that, you know, that they're really going to ease up or, or, or go half speed, that's just not the case. This is This is their job. And if they're not trying to be part of this team next year, they're trying to be part of a team somewhere else. And I do believe that it, it, the film doesn't lie. And, and if another team is looking for a free agent next year and they, and they pop on the tape of the Colts and somebody and they, and they look at this player they're interested in and they see that he's just not doing it, 
well, that's a red flag. Why, why would all of a sudden he, he he not check out on you if things don't go well? So, no, I don't think these players are checking out at all. It's just that they're not playing well enough to, well enough to win. Chap, I, I agree with you in that regard. I know Brendan does as well. It's There's a fine line between fans rooting for the team to lose and the idea that players that are either fighting for their NFL futures, whether it's contract years for them or whether they could be traded to another team, they want to show they're still NFL caliber players and the same with the coaching staff. So I totally agree with you on that front. I, I think the larger confusion for me is, and just from what you've heard around the building, is Matt Ryan still there because he does give them the best chance to win because they're still a percentage chance to make the postseason and if that is the case if they lose this week and get bounced do you expect to see a shift towards okay let's see what Ellinger or let's see what Foles has for this unit maybe not beyond but still being a part of this roster next year no I don't think they're I don't think Ryan is still quarterbacking because they got the one or two percent chance to make the playoffs I mean that's kind of you know, pie in the sky. It's just that game to game, he gives him the best chance. I mean, it's to, to, to think that, well, now now they're officially out of it, they'll go a different direction. I just don't think so because that's no different than the Vikings game. I mean, they got virtually zero chance of making the playoffs, but they're doing whatever it takes this week to win this game. And I just think they do the thing, same thing next week. And, I, I, I guess you could argue, let's see what they have in Ellinger. You know, the two games he played, he started, it's really hard to draw much from, good or bad. He played well enough for them to win. Washington, he did. But having said that, I mean, I, I don't know that from that game you can say, you know, and I think he can be a viable starter. And then New England was just a, you know, just a, a dumpster fire. So I guess I could argue that maybe they need to see a little bit of him. But I think for those of us that have been around him for the last couple of years, we've sort of seen what he is, who he is. So I could go either way on him playing over the last week or two. But the fact that maybe they'll be out of it after after Saturday if they lose, I just don't see how that impacts things because they're basically out of it now. Uh, This is a coach and a staff that's doing, you know, basically putting the best 11 on the the field, and we can argue whether Ryan is, because what we saw in the fourth quarter and too often this year, you want better. Uh, But I I just don't know that there's better on the team. Maybe it would be interesting to see Foles play. If they're going to make a change, I I don't know. I I, I just come down each way, and if you're going to – Say, okay, we're out of it, so let's see what we got. Then you go with Ellinger so you can get just a better read on him. But I just think it's kind of folly to think that if he plays the last three games, you're going to come away and say, you know, this guy can be started. This guy's only a back, not only a backup, but a viable backup. It's just a tough situation because I know from being in the locker room, this team is 100% behind Ryan. It is. They were upset when he was benched. Uh, after the Tennessee game, although people need to realize the two games he missed because he was benched, he was going to miss anyway because right. of the injury. So, but it, it's just a tough situation. And you see how he plays when he's brought him back four or five times. And, you know, if, if that's the guy they can get, he gives them the best chance to win. And then you come up with these two or three 
interceptions and a fumble, and he's got 14 fumbles. And it, it's one to where I, I understand arguments in, in, in each direction. But if I'm the coach, I'm, I'm putting the best guys out there and saying, let's try to win this game and then try to win the next game. The one thing that Jeff Saturday mentioned today is, let's say they get on a four-game winning streak to end the season. You're 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. And going into the offseason, that's going to look pretty good. It's going to look a lot better than maybe what the season was. Uh, so, in, in, and that record sticks with you. You know, every game they lose, every fifty-four to nineteen they lose. That's that's part of your resume. And I think they really want to try to limit those nasty games as much as they can. Chap, at one point, and this was with a different coach, Ellinger was the starter quote for the rest of the season, or that was the plan. Right? Is Ellinger? I'm sorry, is Foles the backup because they now know or think they know what they have in Ellinger, or is that not the case? I don't know. Now, Jeff Saturday wasn't here when that was when that statement was made, and that was probably the one argument I had against what they were doing when the owner ordered that, you know, Sam be number one and, and Ryan, again, because he was injured, went to three. What they should have said is, you know, Matt Ryan's hurt. He's going to miss a couple of games, so Sam's going to quarterback, and then we'll reevaluate. That's not what they said. Right. And that was their mistake. So, and then Jeff comes in, and all of a sudden he apparently had the option that Frank Reich didn't in going back to Matt Ryan. Now, if Frank could still be here, would would he have had the freedom to go back to Ryan? I don't know. It's they, They've just so mishandled this quarterback situation. They just have. And and Ryan's made it tough because of the way he's played. And and maybe Ellinger, too, because, again, although, I, again, with two games, I'm not sure what kind of, you know, evaluation you can really draw on that. But they mishandled it, and here's where they are, and you've got a quarterback that gives you the best chance to win, and he leads the league in it with 18 turnovers. It's just difficult. Again, would Foles be better? I don't know because he's taken like two snaps this year. He's probably been jerked around more than anybody on the quarterback depth chart. But uh, to me, it's week to week. It, it just is. And that's not because they maybe want to see what Ellinger has, but it's just because they want to go week to week and see, again, who gives them the best chance that week. But in my mind, Ryan will be the quarterback the rest of the season unless he just goes off the deep end and keeps throwing these two and three interceptions a game on all this. And, and he sort of forces your hand. Mike. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Chapel joining us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Motor Shop and Fishers, MotorShop.com. All your snowblowers, commercial, residential mowers, plus service, pallet tools, and more. They have it for you at the Motor Shop and Fishers. You can follow Chappie at mchapel 51 Chap, I guess the reason that I ask about Matt Ryan is because, like, I'm with you, Chap. I the season's over. I, I've joked about that a couple times this week. Just keep doing what you're doing, baby. You'll be fine. You don't need to worry about right. tanking. Like to your point, they're they're doing a good job of just doing that each and every week anyway. What is 
in your mind, the picture moving forward over these next four weeks, if it is Matt Ryan, he still has another year on his contract. I think Kevin Bowen, uh, maybe a couple others, asked him today or earlier this week about if he's thought about next year at all. I know he said he's not. He, he's just trying to make it to each week and just take it day by day, as you would expect from him. But with how they utilize him these next four weeks, does that impact where you see him on this roster next season since he is under contract? Only if he really starts playing <laughs> really badly, uh, you know, worse than what he is. Because it's it's the one thing that people need to realize, and we've mentioned it before, is it's easy to get rid of people. You can fire them, whatever, and it's tougher to replace them. Yep. Well, everybody anticipates, as you know, as they realistically should, is they're going to go out and try to find a quarterback in the draft. Whether that's first round, second round, whatever, it just depends on how things fall and who takes quarterbacks ahead of them. I think they're like seventh or eighth in the draft order now. But that guy's not going to be ready to play. Right. He's just not. So you're going to have to have somebody hold the fort, if not, you know, maybe all year. And and if if it if you want to get rid of Ryan, he's due eighteen million guaranteed regardless of where he is. And if he's on the roster in March, it's an it's an extra seventeen million. So you know, do you think he can be the guy next year for you know thirty five million over an extra seventeen? And if not, fine, you cut him, you owe him eighteen, you save seventeen, and then you need a quarterback. So there you are again, trying to find another free agent quarterback. Unless you believe that either Foles or Ellinger can be that that bridge, which. I, I don't know how you can really believe that. So then you go on, you know, will Marcus Mariota be out there? Will Derek Carr be out there? Will whomever be out there? Which is what you're trying to get off that carousel anyway. So it, it's not as easy to say, well, we're just going to get rid of Ryan because he costs too much and all this. Because if you do, then you've got to replace him. And it's, like I say, it's easy to cut guys. It's harder to replace them, as we've seen. With, with this five quarterbacks in five years, six quarterbacks if you count Ellinger. So I, I, I in, in about a month ago, I thought I thought he would be back just just for why I argued that, and now I really don't know. I really don't. Hey, chap, switching gears for a second to wide receiver. Big news yesterday: T. Y. Hilton's back in the league, going to the Dallas Cowboys for their little playoff run. Did you anticipate? I guess a year ago that he still wanted to play. And secondly, is this a thing where, you know, could the Colts have had him this year and they just decided to move on? Probably they could have had him back if they would have offered him enough money. I'm sure that they didn't offer him much. If anything, I don't know. They, you know, Chris Ballard always kept telling us, you know, I think he can still play. And it would have been in a much reduced role in different role here, uh, and which is what Ty apparently again he either he either wasn't asked or what he was being offered wasn't enough. And we always used to get mixed mixed uh, signals from Ty to where he thought he could still play, but maybe it was time. Remember when he had the neck issue last year to start the season? Yeah. He said he really thought about retirement. But this will be a great situation for him. I mean, he's not going in there to be the guy. I mean, this this is a, you know, they've got the receiver kind of pecking order down, and this is a team that's relying on the run game a lot more. So he can be that situational guy. I think he can he can offer you a handful of plays, and good for him. 
you'd love to see him kind of finish with, with something playoffs or maybe more. I mean, there, there, there's no reason Dallas can't win at all. They've, they've got that type of a team and maybe he's that missing piece. Their passing him hasn't been quite what they want it to be after they didn't resign or they resign or trade uh, Cooper. So uh, good for him. And uh, I, I don't know that he thinks he can play another two or three years, but this could be that one, one last shot. And I'd really love to see T.Y. go out with a bang. And if Dallas gets there and wins something big, I think he could have a, be a, a decent part of it. Chap, I know that you're going to get this question a lot over the next four weeks, and you know we'll, we'll toss it to you as the season unfolds. I wish we could super sim to get to the four weeks. We would have an answer to this question, but we can't. we got to play it out, see how it rolls. For you and, and the rumblings at West 56, is, is the presumed thought for 2023 that, particularly in the draft, Chris Ballard is the head architect of this and the struggles over the last week or last weeks, I should say, with them losing six their last seven, how much of that is a reflection on not just Jeff Saturday as an interim, but what Chris Ballard's put together here? Yeah, I've always thought about how you divvy up the blame, if that's the word, and is it 60-40 GM or personnel coaching or, or whatever. I mean, they've all had a hand in this. The owner, GM, and, and head coach all have a hand in this quarterback mess they're in. From, from Rivers to Wentz to, you know, to where they are now. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I really know, I believe that Jim Irsay trusts and respects Chris Ballard. I really, I, I honestly believe that. He sat up there at, at that press conference and said, you know, of course he's going to be here, and that's not even in my conscious mind or whatever it was. Well, two weeks earlier he said that, he and Frank and Chris were in a good spot, and then he f- fires Frank. So <laughs> things, things change. I, I 50-50, I guess, because, you know, the owner's going to have to decide that the GM who's had a role in, in not making this roster good enough is good enough to fix it. And that's a tough question that the owner has to, has to make and, and decide what to do. And I know he doesn't want to change. When you change head coaches, there's obviously change. When you change the GM, it really alters where you're going and how you do things, the coaching staff and offense and defense and all that. So, But at the same time, what they've done has not been good enough. It's not been good enough. What's a one-playoff win since he's been here? Um, so I, I – I, I wish I had a better idea, and I don't. I just know that the owner really, when he says he, he, he trusts and has respect for, for Chris Ballard, I, I believe him. Now, whether that means he's going to put the franchise's future and keep it in his hands, I don't know. And if I'm Chris Ballard, I mean, he's not going to resign, but right. he's also dealing right now with an owner who the three biggest decisions they've made over the last, I don't know, since January – have been unilateral by the owner, which is not the way a GM wants to, to run a franchise. So it, it's just, again, it's, it's a mess of their own creation. And I'm really curious what they do at GM because that 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 kind of impacts everything. You know, with, with if, if he's still here, then, then his role in, in hiring a new coach, whether it's Jeff Sattery or someone else, 
it's going to start with that GM and, you know, there's so much good that Chris Ballard has done. He, he really has. Yet they're, yet they're a mess at quarterback, left tackle, and pass rush. They haven't got that totally solved. And those are the three biggest areas. So it's, it's a really, really tough situation. Chap, in your mind and from what you <clears throat> sense, do you really believe that Ursay still, with his gut, trusts and really thinks that Jeff Saturday could be the head coach of this football team next year? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, that, it, it's hard trying to read Jim saying I don't think that this has gone quite the way he had hoped it would. You know, they got the initial boost against the Raiders, and, and then they almost won, and they, you know, and then not so much. Uh, I, I don't know, and I don't know what Jeff can do over the last month to either really solidify his his, his standing or, or hurt it. And I think he could hurt it by if they just went and got a couple more blowout losses. I don't think that's going to happen. He, he's, a, he's a quality leader. He just doesn't have the experience. And he, he talked today about he wants to, he, he wants to pursue this job in the offseason. If he's offered a chance to interview, he wants to do it. You know, and it could very well have been that he got in here and said, man, this was more than I thought. It's not what I want to do, but that's not that's not what he said today. He, he's found out that this is something he, he's got a passion for. He thinks he's good at it. Whether the owner will, you know, maybe the owner has decided that he's my guy. And they'll go through the Rooney Rule process and interview guys, and, and it'll be Jeff Saturday. I, I don't know. I sort of doubt that. But if nothing else, Jeff Saturday still wants to be the coach. He wants to be the full-time coach. And that's the first step, and I'm sure when the time comes, he'll interview and, and do a real good job on the interview process because that's who he is. Uh, we, just, we just have to see if the owner believes that and maybe who else is available. You know, you never know who, who you might want to get until you know who's who's wants to throw the hat in the ring and wants to try to help revive this franchise. Chap, I understand that the South is the worst division in football. You know that as well as I do. But does it matter at all to the folks at West 56 the idea that throughout this chaotic season, the Jaguars of all teams might be ahead of schedule and could somehow steal the South and uh, make the playoffs this year? Because the only reason I say it matters is that division, their only path, at least in my mind, this year and maybe next year, is the division. The wild card, there's too many good teams ahead of them to get in in one of those wild card spots. With it being a division-only or a, a division win only playoff berth on the line for these teams. What does that say about where the Colts are at if the Jaguars are able to steal the South in these final four weeks? Well, the Jaguars have a quarterback. I mean, he, right. he, you know, right. Trevor Lawrence has been up and down, but whenever you got the guy, he, he gives you a chance. He just does. You know, in, in Tennessee's kind of dying off, and, and Tannehill's been banged up, and, and, and all that, and, and Houston, you know, they're just. They're, they're just flogging away, and you know they'll get their quarterback the first pick in the draft. But until you get the guy, you're you're just you're just flailing away. And what we've seen for the most part this year is Trevor Lawrence has taken that that step forward, which we thought he would with a legitimate quarterback going from Urban Meyer to you know Doug Peterson. And as long as you've got that guy, he, he gives you that chance. And that's why I think looking forward, if I'm projecting who has the best chance of, I don't want to say seizing control, but of being the front runner in this division is Jacksonville. Because, again, it looks like Trevor Lawrence, 
with another year or two is going to be in that group. And that's what is so upsetting to the to the Colts fan base, I think, is these guys really have no direction at, at quarterback at all. And you look around and you see Joe Burrow, you see Jalen Hurts, you, you see all these, you know, Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, and, and the Colts fan base says, hey, I want one of those. <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're hard to get. You know, that, that's as this franchise has seen with the long years of Manning and Luck, it's hard to get them. And when you get them, they make a difference and, and they make you relevant for 10, 12, 14 years. And until this team can get that stability, long-term stability, at quarterback, it's. I would much rather have a very, very flawed roster with a quarterback, which they've had here. I think Luck had a lot of flawed rosters and he was that good, as opposed to a really a great roster and a quarterback that I that I just don't trust uh, because that quarterback can really cover up a lot of flaws. And that's why I say until these guys get that solved, it's going to be a while. And again, the, the fact that they get if they get their long-term quarterback that they believe in next year, it's still going to be a year or two process before they can kind of really be where they want to be. So Colts fans kind of got to strap in and, and accept the fact that this is not going to be a quick turnaround. It's just not. Chap. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Last thing for me to preview Saturday just a little bit, Saturday afternoon football in Minnesota against the Vikings. You know, one of the bright spots of this year has been the Colts defense, not in the fourth quarter against Dallas, certainly, but many other times. Uh, is the defense capable enough of being able to contain an offense that features Kirk Cousins, who is relishing with Dalvin Cook as his running back and Justin Jefferson as his number one wide receiver? Can the Colts make it a game on Saturday? Oh, they'll, they'll make it a game because that's that's what they do. But, you know, Justin Jefferson is probably going to be the oh, second best receiver, maybe the first, maybe the best receiver. I mean, you know, Devontae Adams is quality. But Justin Jefferson, what is this, his second or third year? And he's just tearing it up. I'm sure we're going to see Stephon Gilmore on him a lot. But they can also do stuff on the, in the ground game. And Kirk Cousins runs hot and cold, and when he's hot, he's really good. Uh, but you just don't know what did I see that the that the uh, Vikings are the first ten win team and they're a minus in, in scoring differential. The, the opponents about scored them by one point, which is crazy for a team that's ten and three or ten and two, whatever the ten and three. So it just shows you that yes, they, they've had their moments and what they've done. They've won the close games when they had the chance, and for the most part, the Colts haven't. And I know the Dallas game sort of skews things, but but the Colts have been in most games with a chance either to, to make the, the score at the end of the game or two or three times for the defense to close the door. And a couple times the defense has, but too often they haven't. So there is a fine line, but again, I go back to what I said before. Bad teams find ways to lose. They just do. And that's where this team is with 4-8-1. and one. Right now they're a bad team. No arguments here, Chap. I appreciate you making time for us as always. Always appreciate your work on Fox 59 and CBS 4, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. 
That's Mike Chapel. You can follow him on Twitter at mchapel51. The Dean, Mike Chapel, on Fox 9 and CBS4. Always appreciate his work covering the Colts.